And those of you that are here with us tonight that were invited to come, thank you for coming. And we are trying to work on some things in our church, getting people excited about talking to others about church and about the things of the Lord. And uh, this has been a great uh, week for us to be able to have our folks inviting people to come. And not all of them came, but some did. Amen? Years ago, there was a, a bunch of uh, starfish that washed up on the shore uh, on a beach. And a young girl was worried because all these starfish were dying on the beach. And I mean, just thousands and thousands of them all over the beach. And a man was watching as she walked along the shore and would take one starfish and pick it up and walk over and set it down in the water. And uh, he went up to her and said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm trying to save the starfish. And uh, he said, well, you realize that there are thousands of these. You'll never get it all done. And uh, she sa- he said, you're not really making much of a difference at all. And without saying anything, she went over and picked up another one and walked over and put it in the water and turned to the man and said, but it made a difference for that one. And we may not see thousands and multitudes come to Christ, but we can make a difference for one, can't we? We can make a difference for one. Well, let's look at Acts chapter number 4, and we're just going to read one verse of Scripture tonight and uh, then launch into the message this evening. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 31 And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Father, we pray now that you'll bless the preaching of your word and the time that we spend here together tonight. Lord, it's a very important time. It's not something to be taken lightly, and certainly not something we want to approach without your power and your blessing and your direction on it. Lord, this... Uh, is not my message tonight. This is your message. And I ask that you would do it in the hearts of men that, in such a way that uh, I could never do and that men would understand it, their hearts would be touched, and that your Holy Spirit would have free course. I pray at the very onset of the message that you would help us to go ahead and make what decision we will make in this service. And that would be that if you'll show us your truth, our answer is already yes, we will walk in it. Bless the time that we spend here together, and Lord, to put a hedge of protection about this place. And if there be any distractions or things that would cause the Holy Spirit to be quenched or grieved tonight, I pray that you would put a restraint on that, and that the Holy Spirit could have free course this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The Bible says that this prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. In Psalm 119, he says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to my word? With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy, command, uh, from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. In Psalm 119, later in the chapter, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And the psalmist said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this law doth he meditate day and night. 
He also said later on in the Psalms, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Isn't it wonderful tonight that you and I get to hold on our laps not a book that contains God's word, but a book that is the very words of God. The very fact that we don't have a book here that's written by men, but a book that's written by God himself to us and that we can anchor our souls to. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? We're going to look at a passage here in the book of Acts in chapter number 4 dealing with the subject of prayer. Prayer is one of the, the dear things that I believe is near and dear to the heart of God. In fact, so much so that he tells us and commands us that we're to pray without ceasing. He talks about the fact that we're always to be in a spirit of prayer. In fact, he, he is, uh, it's such an important thing that it's the only thing that during his earthly ministry, his disciples came to him and asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. He didn't, they didn't say, teach us how to pray or teach us how it ought to sound or what ought to be in the prayer. They just simply said, Lord, teach us to pray. And the very fact that God is instructing His disciples, they didn't ask Him to teach them how to sing. They didn't, teach, they didn't say, Lord, teach us how to conduct a worship service. They didn't say, Lord, teach us how to, how to get up and preach the Bible. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. I think one of the greatest powers of source of, of God's power in an individual's life as a Christian and in the church as a whole is this thing of prayer, and is yet it's probably one of the most neglected parts of the Christian life. The truth of the matter is, if we were to double our prayer life, many of us would not even have to sacrifice very much, would we? I heard somebody say just this week, you know, I wonder what would happen if for every coffee break we took during the week, we made it a prayer break. If we were just to take those few minutes that we would sit and drink a cup of coffee and say, Lord, I want to spend some time with you. We find in the book of Acts that there was something that empowered the church. In chapter number 4, as we read our text this evening, it says, And when they had prayed, I want you to notice this, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they assembled together. Somebody said one time that it used to be that Christians had no influence in society, but they had God's power that would break open the jail doors. Nowadays, they said, Christians have much influence in society, but no power. What happened along the way? Where are the days of God's supernatural moving among men? Where are the days of, of men and women of God that are filled with the power and the Spirit of God? Those are the days where people knew that prayer was not gauged by the amount of time that was spent on it. And prayer was not gauged on how eloquent they could say the prayer. Uh, these folks that, that uh, uh, put out books of prayers and write prayers... I think they're beautiful things and they bring out good thoughts. But can I tell you this? It's not about the beauty of the prayer. It's not about the, it's not about the length of the prayer. Can I tell you there's a measurement that God's Word gives about praying and that is the fervency of that prayer. How much has our heart been stirred to come to God and to bring a matter of prayer to Him and to see the actual uh, the powers and resources of God Himself Come to the aid of the request that we're praying for. 
than people in the early church in the book of Acts. And I understand that there were miraculous things that took place in the book of Acts that we do not see later on in church history. But I wonder on this thing of prayer how much we're missing out on what God longs to do but is hindered of doing because of us. What we find here is we get to Acts chapter number 4, verse number 31, that when they prayed, the place was shaken. I wonder how long it's been since we have been shaken by the matter of prayer, where we felt the presence of God near and dear to us. We sing a song so often, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that draws me from a world of care. And bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and and the things that go wrong, I can't remember the words, my soul has often found relief. Grief, there we go. And oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. I wonder what our prayer lives are like. I'll tell you this, and I'm just going to be very upfront with you. One of the greatest battles over the years that I have faced in my Christian life is this thing of prayer. I get into a routine, and there are times that I get to where the things that I say are said because they're part of the, the, the little phrases that Christians say in prayers. You ever been there before? Lord bless so-and-so, and... Be with so-and-so. And Lord, we just ask your hand of blessing on, and we use phrases and terminology and things that we've heard in prayers before. And the truth of the matter is the fervency is lost. The early Christians knew what it was to pray in God from heaven itself to shake the very place they were in. In Acts chapter number 2, we find that they were in an upper room And I believe that the secret and the power of the New Testament church that we read about in Scripture was not in the very fact that they had apostles that uh, were well trained or well taught. In fact, many of them had poor educations if you read about their lives. The power of the church in the New Testament was not about the programs that that church had for every age group. It wasn't even about the facilities It wasn't about finding out what the people wanted in the city and making it the most interesting and entertaining type of a church they could possibly do to get as many people there as they could. The thing that made the difference in the early church was there was a group of people who met in an upper room and gave themselves to prayer. And God's power fell. Because of the prayer. God moved supernaturally. Peter gets up at Pentecost and preaches and 3,000 people are saved. Just a few days later, he preaches again and another 5,000 are saved. And shortly after that, preaches again. And the Bible doesn't even give us a count, but it says multitudes of men and women. Could you imagine a church that was running 120 one week and had a prayer meeting and come the next week the preacher preached and 3,000 people were added to the church. All of a sudden they went from 120 members to 3,120 members. All of a sudden they went from 120 members within two or three weeks to running 8,120 members. 
And we look at things like that and we say, Brother Greg, how could that happen? Because some people met in an upper room and prayed. And the place was shaken where they prayed. It's interesting to me all the prayer promises that God's given to us in Scripture. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. You know what's amazing to me? Take your Bibles tonight if you've got them handy there. Keep your finger here in Acts chapter 4 for a minute. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Kings chapter number 18. I love this. 1 Kings chapter number 18. I want you to see something here. Ahab is probably one of the most wicked kings of Israel, and he had married a woman named Jezebel, and they had thousands and thousands of prophets of Baal, and idol worship was rampant throughout the nation of Israel, and God had brought judgment by way of a drought upon the nation, and Ahab was mad and thought that all of the problems that they were facing was because of Elijah the prophet. And he even told Elijah so much. He said, if I ever see you again, I'm going to kill you. I mean, he hated Elijah because he thought that Elijah was the purpose and the reason for all of Israel's problems. We know the, the truth of it, though, don't we? That Israel's problems was not because of a man of God giving a message of God, but the fact that there was a wicked king that led his people into idolatry. By the way, there's a lot of that going on today under the guise of religion. There are men around the country today that are leading thousands of people down a wrong path and taking them down a road of idolatry and claiming it under the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was a man by the name of Elijah that said, I'm not going to bow the knee. I'm not going to go to Baal. I'm not going to cave in to Ahab. He said, I'm going to be a man of the Lord and a prophet of the Lord. And what God wants is what I'm going to say. And by the way, America could sure use a lot of that right now, couldn't it? Some men and women of God that would stand up and say, I'll be an Elijah. I'll be one that will take a stand and will not compromise and will not bow the knee to all the things that are enticing me along the way. But I will be true to what the Lord Jesus Christ wants me to be. Look with me, if you will, in chapter number 18. We'll begin reading in verse number 36. After they have taken all day to try to crawl down fire from Baal on their altar, finally Elijah steps up and he begins in verse number 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, and I want you to notice here, 63 words are said. 63. Listen to them carefully. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that Thou art God in Israel, and that I am Thy servant, and that I have done all these things at Thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that Thou art the Lord God, and that Thou hast turned their heart back again. Sixty-three words of a man with fervency as he prays. And I tell you tonight that prayer will move the supernatural hand of God. Prayer will move the supernatural hand of God. Elijah prays 63 words and we find in verse number 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust. And at this point, we say that's what the fire should have done. 
But then we find an interesting statement here. And it says, and licked up the water that was in the trench. We know the story, how that Elijah, before he prayed, had them bring 12 barrels of water and saturate the wood and the altar and the sacrifice and had a trench dug around and even had water in the trench. Man uses water to put out fire, but a supernatural God can use water to put out the wa- uh, fire to put out the water, can't he? He can lick up the water that's in the trench. Can I tell you tonight that there is such a, 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 a resource that Christians have a hold of and have opportunity to have that will move the supernatural hand of God. You say, Brother Greg, what about the, the worries of our world today? Boy, look at the mess our country is in. Look at the mess that our world is in. And, and Brother Greg, there's just no hope. Can I tell you tonight, the answer to our world is not found in Washington, D.C. Amen. It is not found in the United Nations or in the European Union. It's not found in the peace talks. But the difference that needs to be made in the world today needs to be made on the knees of a lot of Christians in our prayer closets. For it is the only thing that will move the supernatural hand of God. He said, Brother Greg, how are we going to get a hold of our society and our, our country again? We better get a hold of this thing of praying. We better get away from just praying at the dinner table. Uh, we better get away from just our, our little token prayers and our little phraseologies that we use when we pray. We better get away from just the little cute things that we've heard other people say in their prayers and, and making that all that there is to our prayer life. Where is the agonizing in prayer? Where is the laboring in prayer? Where is the fervency in prayer? The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Well, sure it does. It availeth the supernatural hand of God. What an amazing thought. I want you to know, secondly, about prayer, that when it comes to our praying, God always hears and He never fails. There was a song years ago when I was a kid that we used to sing, Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. Heaven and earth may pass away, but Jesus never fails. Three simple words, but have you ever thought of the theology and the impact of that? Jesus never, never, never fails. You say, Brother Greg, there are some times, no matter how hard I try, I just can't seem to... But Jesus never fails. Well, Brother Greg, you just don't know the battle I've had. I just can't. But Jesus never fails. Not one time. There's not one thing that's happened in your life or in my life where Jesus has failed us. Not one. You say, Brother Greg, not everything in my life's been pretty. Not everything in my life's been good. But Jesus never failed. Did he? Jesus never fails. I love when I read in the Old Testament, and I think one of the great themes of Scripture is the fact that our hearts as God's people need to be yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ. I like using the word yielded. I always use surrender for years, and I heard Brother Randy Casey make the statement one time. 
He said surrender gives the idea that you're struggling and fighting and finally you surrender. He said wouldn't it be far better if we just walk up to him and yield to him right away? No struggle. No battle. No fight with God. Just simply say, Lord, I'm yielded to you. I'm going to give my heart to you. And we preach on that quite often, that subject of being yielded. And the fact that we need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The fact that God's people need to have a power about them again that allows people, when we come in contact with them, to realize there's something different about that person. There's something different in their life. And and I want what they've got. It was the day that happened. There was a day when there were men of God who would come into a town for revival services and going about the town to invite people to come to the services. Charles Finney was known one time of walking into a textile mill where there were literally hundreds of men working in the heat and the noisy machinery and it was so loud that even the foreman that was showing him through the shop as he was standing next to Charles Finney, they could not hear each other speak. And it was said that when Charles Finney walked through the the textile factory with men who had never met him before, as he would look upon them and fasten his eyes on them, and they would look and make eye contact with him, that men would stop their machines and grab a hold of the pillars of the building, afraid they were going to fall into hell because the power of God rested on Charles Finney so greatly. There used to be a time when revivalists would come into town and all the bars would dry up close their doors. It used to be a day when God's people had power. Not much influence, but boy, they had power. And we've struggled and fought these hundreds of years for influence. And we have forgotten God's power. Jesus never fails. I love reading the Old Testament when God comes to different characters I love to hear their response. I remember reading when God came to Samuel and he called his name Samuel as he's a young boy in the temple. Samuel doesn't know what this is and he runs to Eli and says, Did you call me? And Eli said, No, go back to bed. And again, God calls Samuel. He says, Samuel calls him by name. Samuel runs to Eli and says, Eli, I know I heard you. And Eli, understanding and knowing what was going on, he said, Samuel, next time you hear your name, he said, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. So Samuel went back to bed, and God calls again and says, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. You know what Samuel was saying? Samuel was saying, My answer is already yes. Doesn't matter what you're getting ready to ask me, Lord, my answer is already yes. I love the fact that when he calls Abraham, as he's getting ready to tell Abraham to take his only son Isaac and to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. And he comes to Abraham and the Bible says, he says, Abraham, and Abraham, before he knows what God's going to say, Abraham already says, here am I. I love that. God comes to Isaiah and says, Isaiah. He says, here am I. We talk so often about the idea that you and I need to be yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ. To come to Him and say, Lord, I want to yield myself to You. And I love the idea of man coming to the very God of the universe and saying, Here am I. 
But I found something in the book of Isaiah that I think is amazing to me. I'd like to look at it tonight, if you will. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter number 58. Isaiah chapter number 58. Isaiah chapter number 58. We're going to read just one verse here, verse number 9. I want you to see what it says here. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and I want you to see this. And he shall say, here I am. It's kind of easy for us to preach that when we as human beings, sinners, frail, flesh nature, human beings, come into the presence of God, it's easy for us to say we need to be saying, here am I, Lord, you have all of me. But you know what's amazing to me? Is God has promised that when we come to Him and say, Father, He says, Greg, you're mine. All you have to do is ask. It's all available to you. You're my son. You're my child. You ask for it. The Bible says if we'll ask anything in His name, it will be done unto us. And we all understand that that means praying within the will of God. Certainly He's not going to answer us to pray for the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes. And we understand that truth tonight. I think we're all on the same page with that. But understanding that if we ask anything in His will, if we ask anything in His name believing, the Bible teaches it shall be done unto us. You know what God's telling us? He's saying, if you'll come to me, I'll say, here am I. Here I am. I've been here all along. And all you had to do was come and pray. Perhaps that's why in the book of Hebrews it says, come boldly to the throne of grace. For you see, the day at Calvary, when God's Son gave Himself for me, The Bible says that the veil of the temple that separated the outer court from the Holy of Holies was rent in twain from top to bottom. And for the very first time, man could look into the very mercy seat of God where God's presence was. You and I get the opportunity any time we want to come into His presence. And you know what's so amazing? He allows us to come into His presence and to say, Father, and he says, here I am. Here I am. There was a day when men and women understood and knew how to pray. My dad, when he was a young boy, would uh, go to church in Connersville, Indiana. At the time, their church in this little town in Indiana was the second fastest growing church in the state of Indiana. His dad, my grandfather, was a deacon there at the time. And years later, when my dad would recollect some of the things that they did as a church, he didn't tell me about all the bus promotions they did. In fact, he would talk about how fast the church was growing and how many people were getting saved and people were being added to the church. And he didn't tell us about the music program. 
You know what my dad remembered most from his childhood about that church? He said, Greg, there were times that as a kid, men of the church would come over to our house after a Sunday evening service. And they would sit around drinking coffee and praying and fellowshipping together after the service. He said it would grow late and grandma, my, my mom, or he'd say my mom and it was my grandma would come to the kids and say it's time to go to bed. And he said we'd go to bed. He said we'd get up the next morning. My, grand, my mom, mom would wake us up. My grandma would wake them up. Get them ready for school. And he said as I got out of bed, I walked out in the living room of my house. And there were all these men kneeling down in the living room. They had been praying all night. And they got up from praying that morning and went and got a shower and went to work. We don't see God's power anymore. Even when God promises that if we'll call on Him, He'll say, here I am. Because we failed to take advantage of the greatest resource Christians and the church has. You see, we've come up with better ways, haven't we? Well, Brother Greg, that was back then. There's a lot better ways to do it now. I mean, just look at some of these mega churches around. They've they've come up with it. They've got it down to a science. They know how to get the crowd. But where's where's the power? Where is God's supernatural hand moving in such a way that men and women's lives are changed? Transformed not outwardly, but inwardly. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the Word of God with boldness. There's a lot of things I could do. I promise you there's a lot of things I could do this week. And we could pack Keith Heights Baptist Church out. Put, put chairs in the aisles. I promise you. At least by next a week from Sunday I could. If time we get out and promote and let people know about it. I promise you we could do it. But there would be no power. And the Bible warns that there would come a day in the last days where men will have a form of godliness. They'll deny the power thereof. They'll put on outwardly what looks like good religion. There's no power. Where are the cottage prayer meetings that men and women would pray all the night through for souls that were lost? For people to get hearts right with God? Where are the times of Daniel Nash and Abel Clary and some of these great men who would go before Charles Finney and pray for a week or two before a revival? And in the case of Rochester, New York, over a period of four weeks, 100,000 people trust Christ as their Savior. Folks, if we had that kind of praying, we could see most of Jefferson County come to Christ in four weeks. 
Where is the power? When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the Word of God with boldness. Let's stand together, shall we, with his bowed and eyes closed. We're going to give a hymn of invitation and it's only for the purpose of responding to the preaching. If God's spoken to your heart, we're not out to try to get people to make a show of anything. But our altars are open and if God's spoken to your heart, I'd ask you to come and do business with God tonight and get that matter settled. There may be somebody here tonight that say, you know, the truth of the matter is, I don't know if I died right now that I'd go to heaven. I've depended on a good life. I've depended on my church attendance. I've depended on... My baptism, I've depended on uh, growing up in a Christian family. But there has never been a time where I realized I was a sinner, that I could do nothing to save myself. The very best I had to offer God was nothing more than filthy rags. And that the only way I could be saved was by putting my faith and trust in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. It's the only way. I won't remember a time that I ever did that. Can I tell you tonight, you need to be saved. You need to get that matter settled. God doesn't make it hard. He makes it easy. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. If you're here tonight, you don't know for sure if you died that you'd go to heaven. You say, Brother Greg, this is a Wednesday night crowd. I understand that. But I sat in a church as a pastor's son for 13 years, lost lost and for Christians that are here you say brother Greg I know I'm on my way to heaven I know if I died right now I'd go to heaven but boy I sure long to see the great days of revival where God moves in a supernatural way something that cannot be explained by the methods of men but God just does it I long for that, and I'd like to see it happen again. My prayer life isn't much. There's no fervency to it. It's just kind of sporadic, hit and miss. I don't walk with God. I don't spend time. I wonder tonight, how's your prayer life? Father, we come to you and we pray that you'll bless the invitation time. Use it as you would see fit. May your Holy Spirit work and move in hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.